Hey everyone, this is Yiwei here, Chief Product Officer at Talabat. Hey everyone, this is Khaled, CTO at Talabat. Welcome to the Tech for Thought podcast. It's our third episode and today we're talking about a very exciting topic, which is scaling product and tech teams. So Khaled and I over the last 10 years have worked at a bunch of different companies. Some of them much larger than others, some of them in uh, very early stages. And we've seen through the different life cycles of product and tech teams that have gone through uh, massive amounts of growth um, and the different challenges that organizations go through when the company scales to different sizes. So today we want to be able to answer the question, why is it that different organizations hit a breaking point when it comes to scale? And what are some things that leaders uh, in product and tech organizations can do to manage the scale, to make sure that teams scale um, with um, scale well, that they scale to a point where it actually helps with productivity as opposed to uh, going the other way. So hopefully our experiences and observations will help you guys in your respective organizations think about how you want to scale effectively. So why exactly is scaling so hard? Uh, when Halad and I spend a lot of time thinking about it, we really bucketize everything to three main levels of complexity. The first one is around organizational complexity. And we'll dive into a little bit more about why is it that as organizations grow in just a sheer number of humans and people joining the organization, why that introduces a lot uh, of complexity, which makes decision-making a little bit harder, which makes moving fast a little bit harder, uh, and it makes alignment a little bit harder. We'll then talk about tech complexity, how as you scale, uh, whether it's to serve more customers, to grow into new markets, uh, to have more people working on the same tech stack, but that gets a little bit harder and more complex. And finally, people and culture complexities. We know that as organizations scale, uh, the, the first thing that usually breaks is also culture, right? Uh, how do you maintain that sense of culture, that sense of belonging, that sense of uh, working together towards a common goal? Uh, and how exactly can organizations make sure that as they grow with their people, that the culture maintains strong and that, that, that remains? So hopefully the, this podcast will help you answer some of these questions and hopefully our experiences will be helpful. So let's talk about the first one around organizational complexity. Khaled, maybe share a little bit more about your stories and, and why you think that, you know, as an organization scales, why that's so hard and why is it that a lot of pro product and tech organizations struggle uh, to get past scaling with more and more people on the team? Um, well, I think, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very dear topic to, to my heart because, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you, you know, you, I tend to do this. I like to think about organization and, and, and systems, uh, in, in a very, very similar way. Right. And, um, and initially as when I started as an engineer, I, I tend to, tended to focus only on the system aspect of things and how systems can become much more complex as you add more functionalities and more code and more services. Um, and, and then over time, I started to see that, you know, it's, it's a very, very similar story with, with, with organizations. And um, as a matter of fact, I think it's, it's a very common uh, paradigm with any network of active agents, right? Whether these agents are humans or systems or um, whatever it is, it's, it's just when you have more nodes in your network and these nodes can communicate together, you start having big, big uh, complexities. 
And and I think the first thing that people need to to, to understand is that your organization gonna go through so many inflection points, right? So the state you're gonna be in when you're just a new startup, few people gonna be very different when you become like 20, 30, 50 people, then hundreds, then thousands and so on. And um, and, and the challenge is to, to, to know when these inflection points are happening and, um, and how it, um, it, it will impact you, impact your team and then start preparing for it, right? And um, and why it's, it's it's why do we have this complexity? Uh, I think it all goes down down to uh, four things, uh, which is how do you create alignment, how do you stay focused, uh, how to, to 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 be able to move all everyone in your company towards same objective, but in a very uh, also very ambitious objectives, and how to create this high sense of accountability, right? And then these, uh, funny enough, these are the four things that OKRs, for example, try to, to, to solve. But I think they're, regardless of what tool you use, uh, I think these are four things that are very challenging uh, as you are to, 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 to nail when your organization is scaling, right? And to, to take them one by one, uh, when, when you start, when you're just a startup, Alignment is not a problem, right? Probably you're five, six people sitting in one room. If you want to align everyone, you're going to sh shout out and, <laughs> and just, you know, have a discussion, pull everyone to the whiteboard, you know, agree what's the right direction and, and then you're done, right? Focus also is not, is not, is not a problem because you probably, when, you, when you're doing a new startup, most probably or hopefully you're only trying to solve one problem, right? And, and everyone going to be very obsessed about this problem and they're going to be very focused on solving that problem. Um, and also, also most probably, if you're doing a startup, then you're you're ambitious. You're trying really to create value. You're trying to disrupt some business or some industry or some idea. And uh, and and it's very easy when you're very small to hold everyone accountable, right? If 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 you're only a group of five people and one person is not is not accountable, it's not, it doesn't have sense of ownership. It's, uh, it's very easy to, to figure that out and then, and then handle it. But what happens with, when you start growing the organization, when you start adding more people, um, these four things become really at risk. Uh, very easy when you start uh, you know, like growing uh, and creating departments and then setting goals at the department level to lose that alignment, right? you become prone to what we call local optimization. So rather than the whole company optimizing for what's best for the company, every department tries to optimize for what's best for them. And I'm not even here talking about bad intentions or office politics or anything like that, but just because as you know, our human minds um, find it very hard to, to, to hold a lot of cognitive co complexity. So instead of seeing the full picture, naturally every function tries to see part of the of, of the picture and optimize for it with all good intentions but you know when you when you study networks most local optimizations uh, in most cases are not really what's best for the global optimization for 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 the vision or the mission of the company and 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 that's the job of the leaders right? that the job of the leaders to, to be able to identify these let's say complexity patterns and keep simplifying, refactoring, reorganizing the organization to keep it, uh, to keep it on track.
and uh, and that's uh, that's what 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 I'm hoping we hoping we cover today and talk about some of our learned lessons on how to to keep these four things and and keep pushing your company in the right direction as you add more people add more products add more systems and so on and maybe Iwe, you can tell us a little bit about you know and your teams as you grow and uh, I know you've worked with with, with teams at a lot of different sizes how do you how do you make sure you're tackling these four things as your team grow yeah i think it's a it's a great question and i feel like every leader in a product and tech organization will will have to inevitably ask themselves this question right uh, as soon as your organization grows to more than 10 or 15 or 20 you know engineers and product people in the team you'll start to, to, to show some signs of the cracks, right? Where different people are maybe rowing different directions. So you'll find that what the product organization wants is perhaps what different is different than what the sales organization wants, the marketing organization wants. And what we're really seeing, as, as you mentioned, right, is that when you grow, you know, you really want as an organization, why do you grow? You want to be able to do more, right? Mm-hmm. And when you grow in capacity, it is even more important for you to find that alignment and that focus and that accountability, like you mentioned, and it's very, very challenging, right? You, you hire great people with very strong opinions. And when everyone only sees a part of the pie, a lot of times it doesn't come together uh, and, and uh, paint that unified vision end to end, right? That's why as a leader, we believe that it's really important for you to be able to spot these inconsistencies, to be able to spot these misalignments. And, and it's one of the observations that we've had that a lot of leaders don't spend nearly enough time sort of taking that step away from the organization, you know, taking a step back to say, okay, what is marketing doing? What is sales doing? What are, what are our customers saying to be able to pull all of this together? And it's really hard because as a leader, you're also often very accountable for the operational day-to-day to get things out the door, especially when you're going through hyper growth, there's a lot to do. It's very tempting to just, jump at the problem to, to really focus on getting things out when really there's, you know, 80% of the gains is to take a step back and force some of these connections and to spot some of these gaps, whether communication gaps or alignment gaps to bring things together. Right. So I think on one end, as a leader, you have to be, you have to have that very strong uh, acute sense of um, uh, understanding of, of, of what everyone is doing and have a bird's eye view of what everyone is doing. And man, the moment you see, any misalignment is to force the conversation, bring the teams together. The goal here is not that you become that, that bottleneck and, and forcing the, the, the conversation all the time, but as you scale, you need to be also ready to train your team to be able to have people spot things for you, to be able to tell your team to, to say, hey, whenever you spot a misalignment between two, two parts of the, the organization or two different squads, that they know when to bring the conversation together, loop you in so that together as an organization, you can come to, to terms with uh, what to do next, right? Some tools, you know, we talk a lot about OKRs, right? It's been popularized over the, the last N number of years. Uh, like you said, it's when used well, a fantastic tool to drive alignment, focus, accountability, and, and, and really ambitiousness, you know, when we do moonshot OKRs. The danger with OKRs as well is that a lot of people think that just by using OKRs, all of a sudden you'll be mysteriously aligned as a company. Uh, when really what we've seen is it's, it's, it's a tool, right? And you, you still need to do the hard work to connect people, to be able to iron out uh, dependencies, to be able to iron out inconsistencies. All of that still needs to happen. Um, and I think that that's the one thing that leaders underestimate. 
And uh, leaders, I think, too often delegate that conversation to the team when it's really their job to be able to take that bird's eye view uh, and analyze what's going on in the organization, right? So, yeah, I mean, one thing that we care a lot about as leaders is, you know, we, we're not here to, let's say, you know, decide on every single bed and every single uh, thing that goes into the backlog. But it's very important for uh, product and tech leaders to really have an understanding of all the bets, how it all comes together, whether it tells a unified story. And, you know, to be able to make some very tough calls and say, these are the things that we're going to do. And more importantly, here's a really big bucket of set of things that we're not going to do, right? Uh, one thing that we see as well as, you know, when organizations grow and they become overly ambitious and everyone wants to do uh, a lot, the tendency is for the organization to almost pick up too much, right? Mm. Uh, when it's really important to figure out the small set of things that will yield that outsized impact as an organization. Um, and so, you know, as a leader, it's your job to really take that bird's eye view, setting those clear objectives, actively working to prioritize the work of the organization to make sure that people are A, aligned, and B, working on that small set of things that will yield that outsized return. Mm -hmm. It's, it's also, you know, this, this and, and we discussed this a lot, building this outcome-based uh, culture. Why is that? Why is that important? Yeah, you know, it's, it's very, very important to make sure that as you grow, um, your teams don't just focus so much on just doing work and doing busy work and moving things along, but really that they deeply understand what exactly they're moving, what business metric are they moving? How is it that their actions translate to something bigger? When you're a small team of five or six people, it's very easy to see, you know, when you do something, the, the, the output comes out the other end, right? When your organization grows much larger, it's sometimes harder to connect the dots. So as a leader, mm. you definitely need to help, you know, connect the dots, especially for people in the organization that are perhaps new or perhaps a little bit more junior. You know, we, we really truly believe for example, in Talibat, that we need to start with why, right? If people can't answer why they're doing what they're doing, we don't believe that they can really derive the best outcome for the organization. I think it's much easier to, to measure output. And I think that's why a lot of teams and an organization tend to do that. It's just like, it's just a sign of how busy you are, right? It's like, you know, and in whatever, in whatever version it comes in, like how many features I'm getting out, how many story points I'm burning, how many hours I'm logging. Um, but but the, 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 the bit more scary one is when you ask everyone in the organization, even your smallest team to commit to a certain outcome, to, to move the needle, uh, and create impact, and I, I, I really believe it also needs a, a bit of psychological safety. That because when you when you're responsible for an outcome, uh, there is no guarantee that you're going to get it right. Right? If, if I'm just responsible, if I'm leading a small team and I'm responsible for how many features are going to get out, I feel a lot of control over that. Right? I can maybe push hard and get 20 features out. It's done. But if you ask me to focus on the outcome to move the needle, I feel I have way less control over that because, well, I don't understand, fully understand the problem. I don't understand all the contributing factors. There is a lot of things I don't control. Maybe I can do, I will do everything right from an execution perspective, but the market doesn't respond or something to change. And, and it, it is, I think it is much harder to commit to outcomes, right? And, yeah. um, 
And, and, and that's why I think naturally a lot of people find a bit more comfort in not committing to that. But I think you end up, especially when your organization is scaling, if you don't build that culture, I can guarantee you will not be solving things that matter, right? Yeah, that's, that's so true. And we've seen so many feature factories and organizations that just focus so much on pushing people to do more, but not in a particular direction or for a particular reason, right? Very fair point. Cool. Maybe the next point I would like to, to touch on uh, in, in how to handle this complexity is refactoring, right? And here I'm not talking about system refactor, I'm talking about organizational refactoring. And, and, and the way, you know, to go about it is to always think, if, if, you, if you already, you know, built that focus, you build that outcome base, then you, you take the next step and say, what is the optimum organizational structure that would allow me to achieve that, right? And you will quickly discover that um, for teams to be able, like naturally what will happen is that when you start asking teams to commit to outcomes, they will tell you, look, I cannot commit to that outcome because other five, 10 teams contribute to that problem, right? And I cannot control, you know, the roadmaps and, uh, and, uh, and, and sorry, I cannot commit to that outcome. And I think that's very natural. That will never go away. Um, but when you start noticing that pattern a lot, then you have to sit down and think, okay, do I have the organization in the best design that allow me to reach the outcomes? Maybe I need to merge teams together. Maybe I need to extract a team from, from, from this you know, tribe and something else with that. Maybe I, uh, I, I need to bring the commercial person, we talked about this before, maybe you need to bring the commercial person into that product and tech squad and so on. And, you know, it's, it's, it's part, like a rule of thumb that came up from Amazon was like this two, 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 two pizza teams, right? Like create a team and uh, that, that is able to move the needle if they need no more than two pizzas to feed them, right? So we're talking about a team of eight, 10. If you have a team of eight, 10 that really can take a problem and solve it, solve it end to end, then uh, I think you're in a very good shape, right? And, and sometimes this team is gonna be end to end, so they're gonna own you know, a feature or product area end to end. Other time it might be a platform team. So they might be just, as, as long as you can define the responsibility of that team and make sure they can move with the minimum dependencies, then you're in a good shape, right? And and sometimes in Talabat, for example, we, we were noticing that, um, notice, for example, with one team that the dependencies with another team is, is becoming, you know, frequently increasing. And we said, okay, let's take a step back. Let's, let's maybe we'll not have the right trade-off. Maybe cost here is not the best trade-off. Maybe it's okay to rebuild this part of the stack again because we wanna, we want the speed trade-off over the efficiency trade-off, right? So, when you look at your organization, very similar to when you look at the systems, there is no right and wrong answer. There is what are the good trade-offs I want, and what are the bad trade-offs that I cannot have, and what are the bad trade-offs that I'm willing to live with, right? Because you will always have to give something, in, in, to optimize for some other uh, criteria. Um, Great point. Great point. You know, it's, it's, it's so interesting to see the parallels between systems design and organizational design and, and how the, the different patterns that you see in both of them really overlap. And I think it makes sense when you're building tech products, right? At the end of the day, you're, 
you know, the way you structure your org in, in some ways, they say, also mirrors the way that you structure your, your architecture, right? So there are definitely some parallels there. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I would say the, 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 the one other thing, uh, maybe before we leave the organization complexity point is, is also noticing how you work as a leader, right? Because I've seen a lot of leadership teams wanna, as their company growing and going through these inflection points, they wanna keep working exactly the same way. And you need to understand that as the organization grows, you're gonna have to work on a different frequency. So initially when you have a smaller startup, you're gonna be you know, knee deep in execution every day, right? You're gonna be doing everything by hand, writing code, uh, designing features, running user uh, uh, sessions and so on. But then as your organization grow, you will have to know that as a leader, you need maybe to focus a bit more on strategy and trust your team to, to, to execute. And then when you, when you get, get your organization grow even more, then maybe you'll have to work on a longer term strategy. Your direct team gonna work on the you know, next year strategy and then the team under them uh, reporting to them, working on execution and so on. And as a leader, sometimes you know, it, it puts you in an uncomfortable position because maybe maybe you're too obsessed with execution or you really you, know, you don't have that trust yet uh, that your team will execute well without you being there. But really that's the only way to, to, to to scale your organization and to scale yourself with it, or else maybe the best for you is just to find your next thing and go join a startup again. Uh, not every leader is, you know, has to do everything from, you know, from from day one startup to like thousands of employees a company. Maybe maybe you are best suited for startups and then let someone else, a new leader, come in and run the company at, at a certain scale. Uh, that's a great point huh? and different stages of different companies requires a very different kind of leadership and uh, as leaders it's important to either evolve or find that you know what this may not be your thing anymore and you really enjoy uh, perhaps a company of a different size and, and come to terms with that right mm -hmm. i think um to sum up the first part around organizational complexity if there's one final takeaway it's it's to really always um take a step back and reflect uh, every three, six, nine months, take a step back. And when you accept that things were never always going to be the same for every additional person that joins the company, the, it, uh, things are just, you're introducing new elements and new nodes, as you're saying, Khaled, into the organization that, that changes the dynamics of it all. I think the sooner organizations accept that redesign as part of the process that they need to refactor, as you say, as part of the process, then as long as you reflect and redesign all the time, your organization will always be adaptable, it'll always grow, and you will find your rhythm to make sure that it scales effectively, that you're unlocking these, these uh, areas of growth and also unblocking teams from each other uh, so that they can really be at peak performance in an aligned, focused, ambitious way. Mm -hmm. Very cool. The second complexity and, and where we've seen organizations hit a wall is around the tech stack, right? Very, very yeah. simply, you know, there, there are two elements to this, right? One is, man, like we're growing so fast as a company, um, you were serving more customers than ever. That's part one of where it breaks. Usually it also mirrors the second piece, which is not only that, we've also hired, you know, uh, 2X, 3X more engineers than we had a year ago. And we don't really know how to work in a way that, that allows us to move fast to serve this increasing, increasingly growing business need. So 
I know you've, you've seen a lot of tech organizations scale. You've seen a lot of tech organizations um, go through different points where it was almost, you know, perhaps a near death incident, you know, where, where, where the system was really, uh, you know, on its last legs. Tell us a little bit about some of the tips that you have for how organizations can deal with tech complexity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to add one third, you know, uh, one third complexity to tech, which is also features. Um, a lot of a lot of, a lot of leaders tend to think about fe- think about the cost of a feature in the initial cost to build it. But what what a lot of people don't realize is that there is always a cost to maintain it. Even if you don't, I'm not here even talking about you build the feature and you have to iterate on it. Even a feature sitting in your system, it has cost. The reason is every feature you add probably is not 100% isolated, right? You, at the end of the day, your product comes together as, as, a, as a one thing. And every feature you add adds complexity in how the other features interact with it whether on the UX side or, or, you know, the API level or on the database level or so on, right? So every time you add a feature, you're, you're, you're making the system as a whole more complex to modify and, 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 um, and evolve. And that's why the best thing you can do is don't build the feature if you don't really need it, right? Um, I think... Uh, Think hard about what features you want to build, what problems you're solving, and experiment a lot. But and and and, and be very brave and bold to experiment a lot. But don't build the feature. What I mean, and of course, I don't mean people don't, you know, think and innovate and build a lot of things. That's actually the opposite of what we're doing here, right? We every day we're spinning off new ideas and so on. But understand the difference between experimenting and testing and MVP versus deciding to put a feature and scale it because there is a long-term cost of that feature in your system. Um, so this, I would say the third cost. So, so the scale, just the scale of how much traffic, how many features and the, 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 the kind of the surface area of your product, and then how many people are working on your product. And you know, I, I will not, just for the sake of time, I will not spend a lot of time on the tech complexity, but just a few pointers. First of all, common mistake I find is people, engineers specifically, who are very eager to apply a lot of patterns. When they start, they want to build everything similar to how, let's say, Netflix or Google are building, right? So from day one, they want to build microservices with queues and messages and NoSQL and SQL and graph database and so on, right? And this is the worst thing you can ever do to your startup when you're starting because you're wasting your learning cycles on technology rather on business and product. You know, like someone sent out to me say, you know, I I, I heard this Go is a very cool language and a lot of people are adopting it. I've written already my application in PHP. Do you think I need to refactor? And he doesn't even have like, 100 legit customers yet, right? He said, why do you want to waste your learning cycles on the technology, right? You're going to get so many chances in the future to refactor and extract and rewrite. Don't waste your early cycles on that. Waste them or spend them on learning your business, your market, your product. And and, and Monolith gets so many bad vibes in our industry, though, you know, it's actually not bad thing at all to start with the monolith. Actually, almost the best way to always start with the monolith, 
but build it in a modular way. And, and the, the key thing is that as your system grows, you're going to refactor, refactor, refactor. And maybe some point when your team reaches certain size, now you will need to think about, okay, you know what? I need really my teams to move very independently. I cannot have one deployment cycle, right? Or this part of the system needs to scale with a very different uh, growth projection from the, the rest of the system. And that's where you decide okay, now I'm going to take that part of my system. I'm going to refactor it in its own service. But again, similar to organizational complexity, you're going to think hard about how it's going to communicate with the rest of the system, how you're going to make sure that, you know, it's, uh, it's reliable and so on. Um, the, one, the one thing I would always advise you, no matter what stage you're in, keep things simple, right? One of, one of the best principles I love is keep keep it simple stupid right really guys that the hardest thing is complexity uh that's the one thing our minds are not you know doesn't know how to handle well and it makes everything much much harder your biggest threat most probably is not your competitor uh, uh that your biggest threat is that you build things that are too complex and becomes very hard to move fast uh, as you scale Great point and great, great pointers for organizations that are going through that growth to make sure that they don't, they don't uh, break when it comes to their, their tech stack uh, by making sure that things keep it, you know, that are kept very simple. Great point, Holly. All right, let's, uh, let's switch to the last point. And by the way, if anyone, you know, listening to us, if you have more questions, we're probably gonna have more episodes in the future, a bit more techy. So if you wanna you know, know a bit more about any of these topics, please let us know and we're happy to dig a bit deeper. But, uh, but let's move to the, to the next uh, and I think final point we wanted to cover, which is people and culture complexities. And Iway, tell us about, uh, tell us about this. Absolutely. Your team is probably the single most important factor when it comes to scaling your product and tech organization. It's, you know, you have a group of very smart people that you've hired over the years that you're, you're growing and, and building. And if they're not happy or they're not productive or they don't find that alignment to, to what exactly they're building, that's when things start to break, right? And if we boil it down, you know, we really believe that the heart of it is your organizational culture right? It's your DNA at the end of the day. So, and, and a lot of people ask, you know, what is a great culture? What does a great culture look like? Should we take the Netflix playbook and, 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 and use and, and build on that culture? Should we take what Airbnb does? And really, I think our point of view is that the, er, there really isn't a, 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 a one-stop shop or a very common playbook for what great cultures look like. I think, as we discussed you know, a few times before, great culture is where there is great alignment between uh, your strategy and how your teams operate, how your teams think about decisions, how your teams make decisions when, when, when leaders are not in the room. It needs to be very true, it needs to be very authentic, and people need to be able to live and breathe it, right? Great culture or, or an aligned culture, uh, how, how you can see it is when you feel like, you know, as a whole, the, the teams are not constantly debating with each other about how to make decisions. Instead, there is this sort of gravity that leads a decision to think in a certain way or to operate in a certain way. Um, so, you know, we, why we believe that culture is so important is because 
you, you, what you want to avoid as a leader is these cycles where teams are constantly just debating and debating and debating and debating over how to make a decision as opposed to making a decision and actually making an impact, right? One thing we like to say to our teams is, you know, our customer really doesn't care about your PowerPoint slide or your great you know, document or your great mock-ups. Uh, if it doesn't get shipped, if it doesn't achieve that kind of uh, the, the user outcomes that you've set up to achieve, then it's pretty much useless. So how do you build that culture where people can make those decisions well and make those decisions fast uh, and aligning and, and, and aligning people behind that way of working that makes it easier for people to work with each other and, and, and really focus on real business problems and real user problems at the, the, at the end of it, right? The way I like to see it is say it as, you know, your culture is what gives you confidence gives you confidence that you can add 10, 20, 30, 40 more people and that the system will work, right? Obviously taking a lot of what you've said before into consideration around refactoring the team and des des designing the team to minimize dependencies, et cetera. But more importantly, if you have the right culture, it is, it is, it, it feels like, uh, it, it will feel like adding more people to the team um, won't actually dilute your culture, but if anything, it will help exactly. you accelerate. Uh, the, the work that you get, you, you do, right? So, yeah, it's uh, it's one of my, you know, obviously, Khaled, you and I speak about this a lot. It's one of my favorite topics to discuss in product and tech organizations. And, you know, it's, it's very tough in a fast-growing environment uh, to really spend time focusing on culture um, when a lot of organizations also have just a lot to do, right? You're filling your headcount. You're trying to hire as many people as possible. You're keeping that high bar. But what we would encourage is for people and leaders to really focus and over-index on culture fit, to really over-index on documenting and really building that, that common culture in the organization to ensure that anyone who joins fits right in and can really help accelerate the business as opposed to dragging it in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the areas that as you scale as a product and tech organization that we believe has uh, an outsized impact to culture it's a leadership team, right? Whether you're a CTO or CPO and you're, you're hiring your, your, your next set of leaders, it's the leaders that really define how daily decisions are made and how the teams move. So we really want to over-index on hiring the right leaders. So Khaled, speak to us a little bit about, you know, how do we focus on hiring the right leaders with the right culture? What are some things that you look at when you hire your set of leaders for uh, the organization? Hmm. Uh, I think that's a great question, right? Uh, a question, and uh, and I think you know, as a leader, your number one duty is to to, to hire the right leadership team and make sure uh, you're bringing in people in the organization uh, that gonna move in the right direction. And as you said, you know, hiring hiring one person, one one wrong person in the leadership team, in any leadership team at any level, gonna really set back the whole company or function or team in the wrong direction for you might lose a year uh, until you figure it out and then handle it and then find a replacement and so on so it's, it's one thing and that's why we see a lot of organization really obsessing on finding these leadership uh, values and make sure it's really embedded in, in how they source for talent how they hire and so on and um, I, th I think it starts from what's important for that person, right? Like when you say, when we talk about culture, culture is very hard because it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, 
to quantify, right? But it's it's really what you believe in and, and also what you aspire to be as an organization. And that impacts how you think as an organization, how you behave and so on. And, you know, the first one, just very casual point, Alex, say, when you spend the 90 minutes or of hours with an interviewing a leader for your organization, see how you feel afterwards, right? Like, did, did you connect with that person? Uh, did, you, did, have you, did you have an enjoyable discussion, right? It's not all, all like a formula where you can just, you know, put the checks and say, yes, that's a good hire. It's also, and it's, it's a bit tricky. I know I'm, I'm, I'm going in a bit of a, a kind of a tricky space here because, you know, we know about co uh, unconscious biases and, and you have to be make sure you're not, uh, un, you know, you're not biased towards or against that person for unconscious reasons. But, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, have an opinion about how that does when did you feel comfortable did you connect with the people at least to use that for signals maybe you know what maybe i felt that person was a bit arrogant or maybe um the way he answered that question was a bit of red flag at least you can flag it and make sure in the interview process it gets gets covered a bit um and one common mistake I've seen a lot of interviewers do is that they would focus so much on hypothetical situations. And there is definitely a place for that in, in, in any interview process, right? So you give it someone, a, how would you handle this, right? How would you handle a conflict? How would you handle uh, low-performing uh, employee? But I think what is even more important is to get examples and dig into past experiences. So what I like to say, rather than how would you handle a conflict, I'll say, tell me a situation where you had a conflict. Or you had... And then you really, you know, follow up with the right question and you keep digging until you feel you've built a good understanding of how that person behaved in that situation, what, what was his or her motives, and, and, and what are, were the underlying values. And there's a lot of good questions you know, like, for example, one, one question I learned, rather than telling someone, if you tell someone what values you believe in, a lot of people would have an, a, a good, perfect answer prepared, right? But one trick is, instead of you say, out of all the people you've worked with in your career, who inspired you the most, or who you admire the most, and why? And what I found is people always give very genuine answers to that question, because when you relate to a person, you, you, it's, 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 it's probably happens very unconsciously and you really relate to a person because something that you admire or aspire to clicked, right? And that tells me a lot about the person from, from, from who they admired, who they you know, enjoyed working with and so on. Um, another thing we, we try to do is, is, especially when you hire leaders, bring people from different domains, right? Bring people so that you, you make sure also your function is not biased towards one way of hiring. Um, so I think uh, these are the, the, the main points. Uh, you know, the other one that, again, came, came very popular in Amazon, but I've seen also a lot of organizations have tried it at Kareem, uh, we're trying it at Talabat, is the, the concept of a bar raiser. Uh, and, and, and what's the role of that person is to bring someone that doesn't have direct um, benefit or interest in hiring that person, so probably someone from outside team, 
someone who's known to make to make a lot of good hiring decisions and he comes as an independent person in the interview loop and and the the question they're trying to answer if we hire that person does he raise the bar does he raise the average of our hires so he has to be better than 50% of the company and this way you make sure as you're adding more people to the organization the average is is increasing and of course this is you know like amazon took years and years and years to perfect that process so don't don't expect you just bring someone in call them bar raise and then voila you have an amazing interview process it actually takes a lot of work but i think you know independently of how you're going to implement it really what you want to make sure here is that every time you're adding a new hire you're raising the bar of the company it's a great point halid and Hopefully that was helpful, everyone, that, you know, uh, really, as you scale in an organization, one of the toughest parts of scale is people and culture. Um, and Halid, thanks, thank you so much for those tips on how you can hire the, the right leadership and making sure that everyone, every additional person who joins the organization moves the bar just a little bit higher. So thank you all for tuning in today. Today we talked a lot about how you can scale your product and tech teams and different challenges that organizations have. Uh, due to organizational complexity, tech complexity, people and culture complexities. Hopefully that was helpful. We'd obviously love to hear feedback from you. So please drop us a line if you uh, want us to double click or, or zoom into any specific area. Uh, otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you in the second episode. Thanks all.